we've never had a recession where literally everybody knows everything all the time. So the whole notion that the economy overproduces and then finds itself in a position to have to contract production when they know everything and everybody knows everything, I I think we may be waiting for the recession that never shows up. Welcome to the DuPage Business Beat, a podcast about today's biggest business issues told from a Chicagoland perspective. Welcome to the DuPage Business Beat podcast. I'm Greg Bedlove, President and CEO of Choose DuPage. For today's episode, I'm once again joined by Glenn Mazade, a Senior Vice President of Commercial Banking at Old National Bank. Also joining me is Matt Finn, Chief Economist at 1834, a division of Old National Bank. Today, we'll continue our discussion of peoplenomics. Last week, we covered automation, immigration, the trades, and the global supply chain. Today, for part two, we'll discuss affordable and workforce housing, the country's aging population, and a very interesting perspective on interest rates and inflation. Without further ado, let's jump in. I'll start with housing, affordable housing, workforce housing, and the role that that plays in the labor market, the role that that plays in workforce development. DuPage County is in the middle of a workforce and affordable housing study. Multifamily housing in DuPage County right now is an incredibly, incredibly hot product from a development perspective. What are you guys seeing from a workforce perspective? How do interest rates affect that workforce housing opportunity? Multifamily housing, how critical is it to our economy moving forward? Well, so housing is is influenced, obviously, by by many factors, not the least of which is uh, something called household formation. So... uh, in the traditional sense, uh, you know, when you get married and start to have children, you need to expand where, where you're living. And that gets tied into school choices and all, all sorts of things. But the rate of household formation uh, is somewhat muted right now. The other problem with all of this, though, is that housing affordability is at an all-time low. It's very, very difficult for young people to afford uh a home. And so that that leads to this boom in multifamily housing. The problem with multifamily housing is generationally, you're not building up any equity. So there's a whole generation here that is missing out on what for many, many people is their largest single asset, which is the home that they live in. And the opportunity to pay it off and to see the equity in that home grow over time, a lot of young people are missing that. So, so they're getting a late start, if, if, if at all. The other problem that has to unfold here is uh, sort of the golden handcuffs. As a bank, we're acutely aware of this, which is we loaned a lot of people money at below 4% interest rates to buy their home over the last decade. And now they don't want to sell it because if they do, they're going to have to borrow money at nearly 8% in order to, to get that, that next home. And so the supply of existing housing is low right now. That led to a 
boom or a boomlet, if you will, in new housing. Mm-hmm. The problem there is, and I don't know what the local costs are, but on a national level, it's $300 a square foot right. to build a new home. Right. And the median price of a new home is $400,000. And so, again, this goes back to the housing affordability. You know, just So the, the long way around the block to answer your question about uh, affordable housing, it's critical to attract workers. I guess the good news is, and perhaps the Chicago or near Chicago metro area uh, may not be the best, but the Midwest as a whole has much more affordable housing, cheaper land than the coastal areas. And so that's, again, why manufacturing and other uh, businesses are moving to the Midwest because they that's one component of it is affordable affordability and affordable housing. Okay. So as bad as it is here, try that in Oregon or try that okay. in, in Vancouver or try that you know in California and housing is extremely unaffordable. Yeah, and I um, only because I know my daughters always listen to their father's podcast. I know I have one daughter who bought a house at three percent money, and now as her family grows. She's looking for more space, doesn't want to leave the neighborhood she's in because they're starting to acclimate to that neighborhood. But when you look at 8% money and you need a bigger house, you not only have one whammy with the cost of money, but you have the second whammy with the fact that you want a bigger house, which is naturally going to cost more. So what ends up happening? You do nothing. You figure out a way to stay in that house with the hope that someday those interest rates are going back down to 3% and I continue to say, soon as you know when that's going to happen, please let me know, because I'd like to go gobble up a bunch of real estate and yeah. put it in the in the rental market. Yeah, give me a call too. Yeah, because <laughs> it just seems to me that that 3% money, that environment, while it got a lot of people into their first homes, it is now keeping people in those first homes a lot longer than those people ever intended to stay in those first homes. Yeah. And I want to amplify what you said about new housing here in DuPage. New housing, because we're a largely mature county, new housing takes you out of DuPage. New housing takes you into the exurbs as opposed to Mm -hmm. the suburbs where, okay, now I can get the $400,000 home that's got four bedrooms and two baths, but now I'm not near grandma and grandpa. Now I'm not near the city. Now I'm not near to the schools that I want to be near. No knock against any of the other schools. But it just seems to me that looking back on that, it may have been... Great at the time, but to your point, go find a house that's for sale now, right. much less affordably. What's the bank seeing on residential lending and that kind of stuff? There's no question uh, that has uh, it has really dropped off uh, dramatically. We know there's a huge shortage of housing in the country, right? I'm, and certainly in the region. And uh, but what I think is really positive is. Uh, and, and counties like DuPage and, and communities within DuPage, you know, are looking to bring in more affordability, uh, more more affordable housing into projects. So whether it's a uh, an adaptive reuse or redevelopment of an area or retail or something, they're looking to bring in some uh, affordable housing component into that. Now, not all communities, but a lot of communities are and, and embrace that and understanding that that's got to be part of the equation. So, but it's still hard to come by. The costs 
are tremendously expensive uh, for new construction, and it's really, really tough for developers, I think, to be able to make all the numbers work. Uh, but that's their challenge is yeah. to try to do that. Well, and many developers, whether it's residential or commercial or industrial, they got used to that cheap money as well. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. now the industrial market, the transportation distribution and logistics market, it's still booming. But I get calls from developers all the time saying our project is on hold because the pro forma that we did was based on 3% or 4%. And now that money is just not available anymore. Of yeah, course, I'm... Their cap rates are just exactly. at yeah. this point. And I'm quick to remind them, as I'm sure you guys are, that my first house was 9.875%. And my father told me it's below 10. Lock that interest rate, son, because yeah. that's a decent rate. So I guess everything is relative. Yeah. Right. Here's, here's something else for you, too, to consider. Um, 10,000 people a day, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis are turning 65 for the next 15 years. I heard that statistic, and it's mind-blowing. Right. So our current senior care health care system can't handle 10,000 people a day turning 65. Or to put it another way, probably in 10 years, you're going to have 8,000 people a day turning 75. Right? We can't, we can't currently handle that. And so one of the cool things that's happening, uh, which is this confluence, again, going back to, you know, artificial intelligence and, and where we need labor is we need a lot of care labor. We, we need a lot of nursing care, a lot of personal care. Some of that lends itself to AI, Um Using technology to remind people to take their medicine on time, using technology to monitor their overall health, things like blood pressure and mm -hmm. heart rate and things mm -hmm. like that. So there's some use for technology there. But here's one of the key things that I think is going to happen over the next, again, 20 years. We have to keep mom and dad at home because we don't have the healthcare facilities uh, to, to to move everybody that is going to need to move into a facility in. So we're going to have to have, I think this is really where there's a lot of opportunity for people if you're listening to this and want to start a business is installing adaptive technologies. That's everything from Wi-Fi throughout the house. It's everything from wearable technologies to stair lifts to, you know, Wi-Fi communication, you know, it goes a little bit beyond FaceTime. Yeah, aging in place. Aging in place. That's going to be a huge theme, I think, for the next, you know, several years. Does that also mean, though, that the existing senior care facilities would fill up and they may be more attractive from an investment perspective? Or are people going to take mom and dad out of these senior living facilities and bring them back home? The age at which people go into senior living facilities continues to creep up and the length of stay continues to shorten. In other words, people are staying home till they absolutely can't stay there anymore. Okay. And then they're moving into senior care facilities. So the idea that, you know, mom and dad are retiring to some senior facility and playing pickleball every day is not what's happening. What's happening is they're staying home until the last possible moment. And when they go into senior care facilities, their stay is relatively shorter. But, yes, uh, REIT opportunities, real estate investment trust, mm -hmm. um, 
that involve uh, long-term care facilities or senior care facilities is worth looking into. And, you know, mom and dad, you know, we could talk about this could be a whole separate show. Mom and dad staying at home in light of the rising cost of daycare, in light of two family, both mom and dad working and having to rely on somebody else for daycare. You know, we all kind of think, well, my grandma and grandpa aren't capable of watching my kids the way I can watch them myself. I'm quick to remind my kids that we managed to raise you. So there might be a silver lining to that. If mom and dad are around, it might offer the opportunity for more women to stay in the workplace longer, more men to stay in the workplace longer, and not have to worry about the rising, I mean, skyrocketing costs of daycare, which is forcing many people to decide, do I want to be a two-income family or can I afford to be a two-income family if I got to pay 50 grand a year to put my kid in daycare? Right. That's a real issue. All right. So let's close with this one. And it's it's the big one. And I always feel bad for economists when we talk to them because I know a lot of what you do is looking at what happened in the past and then trying to extrapolate that into trends for the future. But everybody's talking about interest rates. There's no way we can talk about economics in DuPage County without talking about interest rates and the Fed and everything that contributes to that and where it's going and investors and on and on and on. If my information is correct, you follow this for a living, I don't. The last meeting of the Fed, they left interest rates unchanged. Correct. And that was in an indication in my mind that they feel like inflation is getting a little more manageable and a little closer to their target numbers. But I think it's fair to say we all think inflation is still here. Things are still costing more than we had hoped, and they cost more than we paid in our recent memory. So- the big question, Matt, hate to put you on the spot, but I will. <laughs> it's all right. Where where do you see interest rates going? Where do you see inflation going? And what kind of impact is that going to have in a maybe a, you know, a, a one-year, three-year, five-year time horizon? So when you people talk about, well, inflation is coming down or the rate of inflation is coming down, we call that disinflation. And so, therefore, the Fed's going to cut rates. If you look back over the last, again, 50, 60 years at at various Fed cycles, the Fed usually doesn't cut rates until the economy itself starts to weaken. And one indication of that is when the employment or the unemployment rate kicks up. So when the unemployment rate starts to rise, the Fed usually eases off. We don't think that's going to happen this time for all the reasons we talked about with the, you know, with the labor market. So what we've seen is the price of goods, goods inflation has been coming down. The rate of goods inflation has been coming down. Service inflation, wages, which is mostly what dominates the service economy, are staying stubbornly sticky at around 4%. This is going to make it very difficult for the Fed to lower rates. So one thing that people look at is what is the length of time between when the Fed pauses and when they ultimately begin to to lower rates? And again, a look back over the last, say, 75 years provides zero guidance (laughs) on that because – it could be one month. It could be five months. It could be almost a year. And you just really don't know because every economic cycle is slightly different. Again, we think that the market is overly optimistic about when the Fed may cut. And they're looking at 
cuts as early as next spring. They're looking at a path of interest rate cuts that bring they being the Fed or they the being market, the market. The market, okay. the market is looking at a at a path of interest rate cuts that bring it down further and faster uh, than what we think is actually going to happen because. Um, whether it's through luck or skill, the Fed may have engineered this soft landing that is, in the past, proven very el- elusive. But we think because of the tightness of the labor market, it's kind of hard to have a recession when everybody's employed and when there's excess jobs. So we don't think the economy is going to fall into a recession. Uh, and therefore, we don't think that the labor market is going to weaken substantially Therefore, we don't think wage inflation is going to come down. Therefore, we think the Fed is going to be on hold. Now, do they come off five and a quarter and lower interest rates to maybe four? Oh, okay. I I don't really have a, a, a point forecast on that. But I think it is clear that the Fed is going to hold rates higher for much longer because of all of the demographic trends we've just spent the last half hour talking about aren't going anywhere anytime soon, that's going to make the last 2% of inflation very difficult to get rid of. Well, that's an interesting perspective. So if I understood you correct, the the soft landing that we typically associate with a recession would be a different type of soft landing where we could potentially avoid recession or there wouldn't be Correct. a traditional, what we think of as a traditional recession. There may be a softening of the market. There may be a little economic downturn, but not to the extent that we've become accustomed to when we think of a recession. Yeah, a recession classically has been two quarters of broad-based negative economic output. So in other words, the country as a whole has produced too much in one period, and now we produce less, right? So so economic output actually contracts. We don't think that's going to happen this time around. We think that we think that economic growth will slow to perhaps less than one percent. And we may even get a quarter of negative growth, but then it'll recover. And so therefore, not meeting that definition of a recession, the, the the image in your mind of a soft landing is sort of the touch and go like a student pilot. Right. <laughs> touch down on the runway, coast a little bit and then take off again. Uh, that's that's the definition of soft landing. So if you if you substitute the plane's glide path for economic growth, it's slowing. It touches down to zero and then takes off again, but it never actually goes below the runway. Never, never goes below the runway. Well, that's a fascinating perspective. Let me. Uh, I, I hope you're right. <laughs> what would there be an indication that perhaps there is a different path ahead? And what what would those indicators be that you would think might send us into the dreaded R word? I'll turn it to Glenn because one of the early indicators is the demand for loans, the demand for for funds. And I know that uh, banks literally all over the country are still uh, fighting for deposits. They need need funds and presumably that's because they need need to fund the loan demand that they have. So, you know, Glenn, what are we seeing in terms of not just Old National, of course, but what are we seeing in terms of overall loan demand, because that would be an early indication of of the economy slowing into a recession. Yeah, I think loan demand has 
leveled off somewhat. Um, I, we're not seeing much in the way of short-term working capital financing. Companies, small and mid-sized companies have done well over the last few years coming through the pandemic, um, reducing workforce or becoming more efficient uh, through the pandemic. And as we've worked our way out of the pandemic with high interest rates, they've still managed their business very well. Uh, so there's still, I think, a lot of liquidity out there in the marketplace. We don't see much utilization um, on lines of credit or as much as we had, you know, had seen in the past, certainly. That being said, there'll still be a need for capital assets, for automation, new equipment, things of that nature, bigger facilities, and so on. But I think overall, small and mid-sized companies have done very well through the pandemic as they're working their way out. I think that helped them uh, given the current conditions that they didn't go and, you know, and hire excessively as we've come out of the pandemic. So now they've got to trim down and so on. I think they've managed through the process very well. And even with higher interest rates are, you know, continuing to manage to do that process. Yeah. Sort of a closing thought, if I may, Please. Is, is that COVID aside, which was an external shock that that no one really foresaw, when was the last big recession that the U.S. economy had? Or when was the last recession at all, except for COVID? Well, it was in 2008. Mm -hmm. The first iPhone came out in 2007. The first iPhone that allowed you to connect to the internet didn't come out until 2009. We've never had a recession where literally everybody knows everything all the time. And I really do believe that, that that that's just an indication of what it's like for businesses to have real-time access to information. So the whole notion that the economy overproduces and then finds itself in a position to have to contract production when they know everything and everybody knows everything, I, I think we may be waiting for the recession that never shows up. What an Interesting, interesting perspective, and I'm so glad you shared it with us. And my takeaway from all of this is just the absolute resiliency of the business community. I mean, you know, we always look at how government can help and, and what we can do to support the business community. Every time I talk with an economist, a banker, a finance person, I'm just absolutely floored at how businesses, despite the headwinds or despite whatever challenges they're facing from COVID, figure out a way to keep the economy as robust as it sounds like it is right now. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's it for today's show. Glenn and Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having Pleasure us. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. yeah, we really appreciate it. Also, a special thanks to our friends at the College of DuPage for supporting today's episode. To keep up with what's happening in DuPage County and the Chicagoland region, please follow Choose DuPage on social media or visit choosedupage.com. I'm Greg Bedlove. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time on the DuPage Business Beat.